0: Uh, Today's reading is from Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold... Thus shall, be, shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me, please. Lord, I am filled with a sense of the way that you care for us. The way that you, through your grace, bestow blessings and and just bounties upon us that we are undeserving of, and that, as we fear you and walk in your ways um, there's just a rich a richness to it, Lord, a richness that that flows from you and peace in life with you, and we have experienced that here as being part of your family, Lord. And I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for the time that Robert has put into this message today. And I know that he has done that in fear of you. And I pray that you would help each of us here today to experience that same fear of you that is talked about in this psalm and that we would experience the blessing that follows and to understand as well what that means thank you and pray these things in your son's name. Amen.
1: Thank you, Grafton Cardwell's. Um, it's a powerful, powerful moment for those of you that know them. They really exemplify that Psalm 128, so it's pretty, pretty special uh, to see them up there reading that. Um, we've been talking about the necessity of raising up the next generation. Um, talking about it in terms of the family, also talking in terms of discipleship. And this is really part of the good life as it is displayed in the Scriptures. Um, And in many ways, it's the good life that those who are not Christians are also looking for. Um, The good life, basically, in most people's minds is rich relationships, and financial provision. And you see this in advertising. I mean, advertisers wouldn't use these themes if they didn't think we all wanted them. And so they communicate to us that if we drink their beer or we use their body spray or we go spend money to go to their beaches, that you're going to experience these rich relationships and this material provision. And so that is is part of the good life. Um, but we, we know that doing those things apart from God is not truly the good life. And Psalm 127, which is kind of a companion Psalm to Psalm 128, uh, is a caution for those who would try to do material provision and relationships apart from God. Psalm 127, 1 to 2, I preached on this a couple of weeks ago. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. The gist of that is if you try to quote, build your house, that of provision, material provision and relationships apart from God, you're in for a life of futility. And you can see the book of Ecclesiastes, if you want to explore that further, we did a whole sermon series on that, of trying to do life apart from God always leads to futility. But also implied in Psalm 127 is that you can build your life in cooperation with God, as a co-laborer with God. And when you do that, life can be something very meaningful. And so, Psalm 127 really kind of begs the question, like, well, what what would it look like if I did co-labor with God in the building of my life? And the answer is Psalm 128. It shows you what a life looks like when it is built as a co-laborer with God. And it shows you the good life. The terminology being used in Psalm 128 is the blessed life. It doesn't say the good life, but the blessed life. So in this passage, we're going to see the source of the blessed life. We're going to see the provision of the blessed life. We're going to see the relationships of the blessed life, and we're going to see the overflow of the blessed life. So that's, that's where we're going. That's a four-point sermon. I'm kind of breaking, you know, tradition right there. It's four points. Source, provision, relationships, overflow. The source of the blessed life, of course, is God. Psalm 128, 1, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in His ways. Now, this term blessed is a holistic term uh, in the Old Testament, In we might think of it as uh, a word that describes holistic thriving, That the human being is thriving in terms of their material, physical safety. Uh, they're, they're, They're thriving in terms of emotional contentedness. They're thriving in terms of relational health. And most importantly, they're thriving in their spiritual life. And so it's this holistic kind of picture of the blessed life. And the blessed life is only afforded to those who fear God. The psalm is describing the opposite of building one's life apart from God. This is describing a person who is building their life before the face of God, before the face of their gracious King. Um, Garrett spoke of this last week in in his sermon as he talked about uh, how good authority, the good authority of God is the only place for true thriving. True freedom can only be found under the good and gracious authority of God of God. And that coming under His authority is a complete and total coming under His authority. Again, in that verse described as to walk in His ways. This is not just come to church on Sunday and give a few bucks to the offering plate, but you're every day getting up, you're walking in His ways. This is what it means to fear God. And God has revealed Himself as a gracious King From the opening chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1, 27, 28, Uh, we, we hear of humanity being created. God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. You see, both blessing and commands Just what you see in Psalm 128.1, there's blessing but also this authoritative commands. And He is blessing them and commanding them uh, in regard to procreation and productivity. And so, He he blesses them with this relationship with Him, with each other, with the earth, and then commands them to procreate and to produce uh, in the world that He's given them. he, he also gives another command in Genesis chapter 2, but is also coupled with blessing. Genesis 2.15, "...the Lord took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The Lord commanded the man, saying, "...you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die." You see that same kind of blessing, putting him in a garden that's already been planted, say, commanding him, you can eat anything in the garden except this one thing, right? And commands him to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God is a gracious king, and he blesses human beings, and he commands authoritatively human beings. Um. Choosing life apart from God is death. And this is what he warns Adam and Eve about. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That will be your way of signaling to God that that you want to live apart from God, that you don't want to remain under the good authority of God. And indeed, they did experience death. Now that's the source of the blessed life is God. God. But what are some of those blessings? Well, according to Psalm 128, one of those blessings is provision from God. It's provision, material provision from God. Verse 2, You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. He he promises the one who has come under the good authority of God that they will receive the, the fruit of their labor, the fruit of their hands. Notice the direct connection between the human being's hands and the fruit that is being produced. You can't really be productive if you don't put your hands to work or your brain to work or whatever part of your body that is required for your particular vocation. And if you don't put your hands to work, to whatever that particular vocation is, you won't produce fruit. You see this described in Proverbs 6, Starting with verse 9, it says, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. You see the direct correlation between the the working of the hands and the fruitfulness, or the lack of working of the hands and the lack of fruitfulness. I remember... when this, one of the times in my life when this came, you know, to become very close to home, I, my first test in college when I was a freshman, and it was a chemistry test, you know, it was pretty hard, but it was like chemistry, you know, first semester, and I made a 57 on my first test, of, you know, of all time, of college. And I was pretty upset about it, and, and I was talking to a, a pastor that was my college pastor, and I was just telling him, man, I made this 57. I'm worried. I mean, am I going to flunk out of school? I'm not going to make it. And, and he said, well, how long did you study? You know, how much did you study for that test? And I said, oh, about two hours. And uh, (laughs) he kind of smiled and he said, well, what were you doing the rest of the time this week? I was like, well, I played golf on Monday. I went out to eat with my friends on Tuesday. I did this on, you know, I I had, I had not studied. And he just looked at me and he just said, Robert, if you don't study, you're going to flunk. And I, that was all I needed to hear. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. And, and so if you don't labor, right, if you don't put your hands to the task, whether it's a chemistry test or it's a garden that you're working on or you're an engineer or you're a custodian or whatever, you're not going to produce labor, not going to produce fruit from that labor. But know that whatever you do produce is ultimately a blessing from God. And this is also part of what this Scripture is saying. God will bless you with the fruit of your labor. So, yes, there's a correlation between what your hands do and the amount of fruit that is produced. But ultimately, it is a blessing from God. The nation of Israel was trained to understand labor in this way. Um, In the book of Deuteronomy, when Moses is given the last sermon to Israel before they go into the Promised Land, he says this to them in Deuteronomy 8, verse 17, Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this day." And it's like a caution, right, to the Israelites. Beware you in your inner life, in your heart, telling yourself, I did this. It's my hands that produced this. He's like, beware, don't, don't, don't go there. You, you're not the ultimate producer of the wealth of the things that you have put your hands to. You... You don't do hard work without health and strength and a job and an economy that makes that job viable. All these things are providentially given to us by a good God. And so no amount of putting your hands to the task would produce anything if it wasn't for the gracious and good God who's blessing us. And so two kinds of life builders need to hear this. I think those who underwork and those who overwork. Some of you underwork. You're like me as a college freshman uh, not studying for the chemistry test. You, your expectations about what it takes to get things done are, are way too low. And, and you're doing six days of lazy and one day of cramming. And wondering why you're not getting much fruit from your labor. It ought to be six days of hard work and one day of rest. And a, a trusting that God will take that labor and He will make it something fruitful. But also those who overwork need to hear this. Whatever it is you're getting from your overwork, maybe it's wealth or prestige or whatever it is you're looking for, if you're doing that apart from God, uh, you're going to find yourself in futility. And overwork is a sign that you're working apart from God. When you're not able to rest and let God run the universe, you are saying that you are God. You are the God of your life. You're the one who has to produce, ultimately, the fruit of your hands. And so those who underwork, those who overwork, need to hear both of those things. Um, The third blessing is relationships. The blessed life includes relationships, and they're from God. Verse 3, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Uh, Beautiful imagery there of wife and children. The wife is a a fruitful vine, so not just a a green vine, but a vine that's producing lots and lots of grapes. Uh, And then the children are olive shoots around the the dinner table. Uh, These are two of the most desirable crops in the ancient Near East, that of olives and grapes. And you make oil out of olives, and you make wine out of grapes. And these are signs of Material prosperity. Uh, this is all over the, the Old Testament, but, but here's one example. Joel 2, verse 23. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for He's given the early rain for your vindication. He's poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. And then verse 24. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. So this is just Signifiers of material wealth, but he's using these, these signifiers of material wealth to talk about relational wealth. And, and he, he's saying, look, look at this most valuable thing in, in your house. Is a, a wife that's thriving, it, it are children who are thriving in the house of the Blessed One. Um, th- this, this picture of, of the table. It's such a powerful image of sitting around the table and having a, a wonderful meal with each other, um, and relating well with each other at the table. It, it brings together both of these pieces of the good life, of, of provision and also relationships. And you see this in a lot of, of, of TV, uh, a couple of shows that Melanie and I have watched, always in the, their episodes, almost every time, with a table uh, scene. Where people are eating, you know, a good meal together. They're relating well with each other in relationships. So one of those is Blue Bloods. You you guys, if you've seen that. Uh, But at the end of every Blue Bloods episode, they're at the table. This extended family that's been through the battle. They had a hard episode, you know, a whole 45 minutes of hard life. And, And now they're at the table and they're eating and they're drinking and they're relating. And there's beautiful music in the background. And it's just this moment of provision but also relationships. The other is parenthood. We, we, at the end of every episode in, in parenthood, uh, there's a beautiful meal, and oftentimes it's outside, and there's little twinkly lights, and and it, it's just this beautiful moment of, of eating the provision that's the material provision that they have, but also relating well with one another. This is this is the good life, right? This this is the blessed life. But I want you to see in Psalm 128 that those, that, that those concepts of the good life, of wealth and provision, but also relationships, it, it, it's, it's bookended in these two verses that communicate that this is all under the good authority of God. So look at verse 1, which you've just read. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways. And then verse 4, behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. That's what Blue Bloods and Parenthood and many, many other scenes in TV and movie that they don't have is the authority of God that, that is the framework around the good life. That, that yes, material provision is, is part of what God does to bless His people, but, but also that these relationships, these rich relationships, but none of it will, will amount to anything if it's not under the good authority of God. And so Psalm 128 is describing this blessed life in the framework of the sovereign, good God. And His authority is, is good. And I know that's hard for us to hear in our current context where authority is just seen as bad. Every authority is seen as something that is corrupt. It can't be trusted. Uh, trying to, to, to knock down every authority that we come in contact with. But authority is good. It is something designed by God. And so, you know, bad authority is really bad. And that's why it's hard for us to, to say, can I trust God's authority? Can I trust the authorities that He's put uh, in, uh, in place? And bad authority, when, it, when it's bad, it's, it, serves to, it, 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 it seeks to serve itself. It, it uses manipulation, harshness, emotionalism, special favors to get what it wants. Bad authority sows dissension instead of unity in a a group, a family, an organization. They play favorites. They lack integrity. They create a culture of distrust. People end up quitting or they learn how to play the system and they work for their own self-interests in that system. It doesn't result in fruitful vines and olive shoots. But good authority contributes to human thriving. Authority that desires the good of individuals and of the community. The, the authority that, that, that leads to uh, humility and but doesn't make apologies for leading and having authority. Uh, they create a safe environment through consistent expression of fairness and integrity and honesty and love. Uh, the gifts and calling of the people that are under that authority are cultivated... Such that they are fruitful vines and they are olive shoots. No human authority is perfect, but God does choose to put humans in authority as his viceroys, as his representative rulers. I want to speak particularly to the husbands and fathers in the room. You've been placed in your family, in your marriage, as a leader as an authority, as a viceroy of God in order to serve your family. And so I want you guys to ask yourself, is is my husbanding and my fathering under the ultimate authority of God? Or am I shirking my responsibility? Or am I dominating in ways that simply serve myself? And the way that you can tell how your authority is going is whether or not your wife is a fruitful vine, and your kids are olive shoots? Are they thriving? Is your authority leading to the cultivation of this blessed life? Not just for you, but for those that are under your authority. We've been encouraging dads to embrace that role. And we've, 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 some of them, uh, the dads in our, in our church have read uh, the book Dad Tired. Uh, some uh, are doing right now, along with their wives, uh, a book called Family Discipleship. All these books are, are, are trying to encourage this vision of what good authority looks like in a home such that there's thriving of, of, of the kids and the parents. But the most important book, of course, is the Bible. This is how God expresses his authority, it's through his word. And so, a, as a dad and a husband, as you think about your own. Uh, exploration of God's Word and your your time alone with God, that doesn't just affect you. That affects your wife. It affects your children. It affects your church. It affects your world. We'll talk about that here in a minute. And so just understanding that you've been given this role, this authority in your home such that uh, you, you have the opportunity to create a place of great thriving. And this is what Psalm 128 is describing. Blessed is the man, who fears the Lord. Oh, wow, look at what's inside this man's domain. It's all thriving. The fruitful vine and the olive shoots. I know there's been many times when I have shirked responsibility, have not done what I should have done as a husband, as a father. There have been times when Melanie has been intervening in the kids' lives and needing me to step in, and she's like, hey, would you help me? Hey, would you do this? Hey, would you? And, and I'm like, yeah, I'll do it, and I, I'll do it for, you know, one day, and then I'll go back to doing my thing with church or whatever else. And and the, the, the result is not thriving. The, the result was a, a, a stressed out, sad mom and kids who were chaotic. And so, while I'm, you know, I'm, I'm exhorting you guys uh, to take this role, know that the, the, the way to, to, to embrace this truth is not, okay, I've got to try harder next week, but instead to go to God your authority and ask Him to forgive you, ask Him to strengthen you. You're not an authority who's by yourself. You're not, you're not one that's trying to have to figure this out on your own. You're a viceroy. You're a representative ruler, and you're under the good authority of God. And this is true of any kind of a situation where you find yourself in authority. Moms definitely have authority over their kids. Um, leaders in the church who have authority, if you're a boss at work, or you're uh, a second lieutenant kind of boss, and you've got a small group that you... We, we've all got opportunity to exercise authority, and we do that Under the ultimate authority of God, who strengthens us, who guides us, such that those who are under our care can thrive. They can be fruitful vines, they can be olive shoots. Now, there's so much fruitfulness in the home that's being described here that there's overflow into the city and the nation. So, this is the fourth point here the overflow. Verse five: The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. So the way the psalm works is it, it's like in the in the dinner uh, in the dining room at the dinner table, looking at uh, the the man who is coming under the authority of God and the thriving wife and the thriving kids, and it zooms out and it's and it shows how that's also blessing the city. Jerusalem or Zion, same thing. And it zooms out even more and sees how it's blessing the nation of Israel. So this tremendous overflow from this little table in this little house with, with this little kingdom, this little piece of Eden that's now overflowing into the lives of others. Such an, this powerful image uh, in this psalm. And so what is it with the whole Jerusalem thing, right? It's, it, it's bubbling over, it's overflowing, it's, it's, it's doing so into uh, Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem was the place where people came to dwell in the presence of God and with each other. It's the place where the temple was. They would make uh, pilgrimages every year to go there. Again, to be in fellowship with God, to be in fellowship with each other. It was the place uh, wh- where the, the people of God would gather Right? And, and so this is, this is what's like a movie trailer of the church that God would institute, of the people of God, but also an even further down the road kind of movie trailer of the end of all days. When, when the city of Jerusalem comes down in the new heaven and the new earth, and it is like the, the center of the, the presence of God, and the people of God are dwelling with God and with each other. And Psalm 128 is, is saying there's this little picture of that that's flowing out of this dining room scene of the, of, of the family into the people of God. Um, it's never God's intention that, that the family would be centered merely on itself. Never, never. Even when He talks to Adam and Eve, He talks to Adam and Eve with a, with a bigger vision of ruling and reigning over the, the, the entire family. Uh, world. Um, People in the U.S. seem to swing one way or the other on this idea of family. Some want to just totally discount the design of the family that we find in Genesis 1 and 2 and elsewhere in the Bible. And this whole like lifelong marriage and kids, they just want to, no, forget it. I'm just going to throw it out. But then they seem to swing to the other side where they idolize the family. It's all about the family, and, and, and it's not this vision of overflow of the family life into the church life, into the life of the people um, of God. And so uh, you, you, you see this um, in the church, where people are like, I'm all about my family. Yeah, I know there's opportunities to serve. I know there's opportunities to be generous and to give and to give my time. And, but I'm just focused on my family. Right? We were in Colorado Springs uh, for a funeral this past weekend, and we went to see Focus on the Family Headquarters, which is a Christian ministry. It's been around for a long time. And um, they do some great work. They, they, they were such a blessing to us as we were raising kids and trying to figure out how to raise kids. And, um, but that name, Focus on the Family, it is an unfortunate name. I'm, I'm just being serious. You don't focus on the family. It, it, it is important, and it is a priority, But it is part of a larger vision, part of a larger thing that God is doing in the church and in the world. So you notice that not only does He talk about Jerusalem in Psalm 128, but it speaks of Israel. talks about the peace or the shalom, the Hebrew word for peace, uh, be upon Israel. Uh, The idea of shalom is, is another way of saying the blessed life. A life of thriving, material thriving, spiritual thriving, relational uh, thriving. And for Christians, it's even a greater overflow. So in the Old Testament, the people of God are more like a come and see kind of thing. And they they do Israel and they say, hey, come check out our nation, check out our city. Uh, but, But when you get to the New Testament, it's go and tell. And it's not just go and tell to Israel, it's go and tell to the nations. And so now the overflow out of the family, into the church, into the world, is the kind of overflow that God has in mind for Christians. Now, you may be reacting to this. In some different ways, for some you're, you're like, yes, let's do this. I'm excited about being a part of something bigger than just 2.5 kids and, and just doing the American dream thing. Like, like I want to do that. Uh, others of you, your dad tired, your mom tired. You're like, okay, Robert, I hear you. I hear you saying I should like, overflow into the church life and overflow into the mission to the nations, but man, I'm just tired. I'm just trying to get these kids in bed at night. I'm trying to get them up in the morning. I, I'm trying to make a living. Like, I just don't think I've got much overflow. And you know what? You're right. You don't. In and of yourself. You don't. I don't either. Partly what Psalm 128 is describing is a, is a supernatural reality. It is not a mere uh, human kind of a strength. It's a supernatural strength. And that strength is available for those who are God-fearers. They are under the good authority of God. And so someone who lives before the face of God, they're given the strength that they need. They're given supernatural provision. They're given supernatural relationships. They're given supernatural overflow in order to live out this reality, this thriving reality of the blessed life. And we know that that power ultimately comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Talk about supernatural power. Christ dies on the cross. He's in a tomb for three days, and then He resurrects from the dead. He's not just interested in resurrecting Himself. He's resurrecting all of us. He's resurrecting the universe. Talk about overflow. Overflow. And He now invites us into that overflow of gospel power, of resurrection power that overflows into our family, into our church, into our world. And this this is something that, this is the nature of faith, right? When, when, When you have an opportunity to take a step of faith, you feel like you're in a place of deprivation. You feel like, I don't have it in me to do this. That's the nature of the step. <laughs> That's the nature of faith. Like, I don't have it in me to do this. Yeah, you're right. And you cry out to God, give me, give me help, give me supernatural strength so that I can take this step of faith. Otherwise, it's not really faith. It doesn't really tell the story of God supernaturally providing for you unless you're in that moment where you're just like, I cannot do this. And then you take the step and God shows up and then you know that he has provided supernaturally for you. So, how do we respond to this? Some different folks in the room, I think, um, that, that are thinking through this Psalm one twenty eight. So, f- for some of you, you've never come under the good authority of God. This morning is your morning. You have thought religion was just kind of a compartment that you have in your life and it just kind of helps you out and it's sort of like religious therapy. It's like I need to feel better, I need to be encouraged, so I just kind of go into this compartment and then I go out of this compartment and I rule and reign over the rest of my life. That's not Christianity. Christianity is, is, is an absolute holistic takeover by God who is your authority. And He is a good authority because He's also a Savior who has holistically saved you dying on the cross for your sins. And so you can trust this authority. You look to the cross, you go, if, if he'll do that for me, I can trust his authority. And again, his authority is expressed through his word. And so coming under him, coming under his word, that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, of receiving the salvation he's given at the cross and coming under his salvation as a disciple. If, if, if you've been looking for the good life merely in the material life, World and relational world, you know it's futility. So this morning, come under the good authority of God by faith. And if you're interested, you're intrigued. You just you're like I'm just not there yet. Reach out to somebody in the room, a friend, myself. Let's talk about it because this this is a this is like a life changing. I mean eternal life changing kind of a thing, where you come under the good authority of God. Now, some of us, and, and all of us really, we all need to be reminded to come under the good authority of God. That's partly why we come here every, every week. God is expressing His authority through His Word. This is how King Jesus, He, he declares uh, His commands, His Word, and we hear that and we respond with submission. We respond with obedience. Right? We're being reminded of the good authority. Of God. So let's, let's allow His Word to, to take re- up residence in our lives this morning in a new way, in a fresh way. Um, part of that, number three, would be to admit our lack of trust in the good authority of God. Every one of us, again, we have parts of our lives where we just don't trust Him. We don't trust that He's good. We agree He's the authority, He made the world, He made the universe, but, but we're not quite sure we can trust His goodness. And we're feeling that deprivation, like I just I can't obey you, Jesus, because I don't have it in me. And you're right, right? We don't have it in us. And so this is why we need to go to him with, uh, asking with, for forgiveness, asking for strength and help and grace to live this life, the blessed life under his good authority. And allowing that good authority to then overflow into the lives of those in this church and then into uh, the world. The, the, one of the first times this kind of dawned on me that, that people could live in a supernatural way, um, it, it, was a, it was a very simple guy named Jimmy Phelps, and he, he's, he's still kicking, he's in his 80s, uh, but he was one of the older men in uh, the church where I was a youth pastor, uh, back in Texas, and I was like, in my 20s, and I didn't know anything. And, um, and I watched this guy as the volunteer, like treasurer, bookkeeper, which is a lot of hours. You can talk to Jake later about the bookkeeping position. Uh, it's no easy, no easy task. Um, but, but he also, and I found this out from the pastor later, um, he, in the 80s, his business was going pretty well. And uh, the church was not going well financially, and he was the bookkeeper-treasurer. And so he'd he'd get to the end of the the month, and he would look at the bills, and whatever was short uh, in terms of the finances, he would just write a check and make sure it was covered. And this happened month after month after month where it was just like on the dime, you know, like everything financially is absolutely perfect to the penny. And the pastor started thinking, something's going on. (laughs) So he did a little, little digging, and he found out Mr. Phelps was just writing a check every month just making sure that the church budget was covered every month. Not only that, but, you know, was an elder in the church. Not only that, um, when I needed a chaperone for teen camp in Austin, Texas, where it was like 105 degrees all week, uh, he was like 65 at the time. And uh, I'm like, I need a male chaperone. Guess who said he'd do it? Mr. Phelps. And he and I slept in the dorm with like, 30 middle school boys. They all stunk and they wouldn't go to bed. And just with a smile on his face day in, day out of teen camp, he just served right alongside me in, uh, in serving uh, on our youth ministry. Not only that, but he and his wife had been giving to this ministry to help support uh, this ministry for the last 22 years faithfully every month without fail. Right. You think, how, how did he do this? How did he live like that, plus run a business, plus raise a family? He did it in the supernatural strength of his authority, King Jesus. That's how he did it. And it is such a testimony to me to the kind of thriving, the kind of blessed life that occurs in a person who is serious about coming under the authority of God. It looks different than the good life of the American dream. Don't, don't get me wrong, it's, it's different. But it does include God's material care for us, and it definitely includes a lot of rich relationships. But it is under the good authority of God. We're reminded of this every time we come to this table. This table is a reminder of the ultimate provision and the ultimate relationships that we've been given as those who are blessed in the gospel. Right, on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, the night before his death, he took bread, he broke it, he gave it to them saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you, do this in remembrance of me. Bread is one of the other just main uh, things that, that signify uh, material wealth. You heard it in that Joel um, passage of the, the, the grain And so it was like this symbol of of sustenance. And so by by using bread as a symbol for the gospel, He's letting us know there's there's a sustenance that's being offered in the gospel, that the ultimate sustenance that comes through the death of Christ at the cross and is offered to you and me. And in the same way, He took the cup, and after He blessed it, He gave it to them, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. His vision was not just that he would save individuals, but that those individuals would become a community, and he would save many, and they would enter into a new covenant community, the church. And so when we come to this table, we are his sons and daughters, right? And we're, we're, we're coming around as the bride, We are the fruitful vine. We are the olive shoots. And we are around the table. And the life that's been given to us has been given at the expense of the ultimate authority. (laughs) Do you hear that? The good news. (laughs) The ultimate authority has laid his life down in order to provide The ultimate sustenance that we needed and the relationship with him and with each other in the gospel. Welcome to the table. And then let that overflow into the nations. His vision is not just that this would just be in here, in this church, but that it would overflow in disciple making that would reach the nations. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for what this table represents. The provision that we've been given in the gospel, the relationships we've been given in the gospel with you and with one another, brothers and sisters in Christ. And the thriving that can come in that, the thriving that is in this church, the thriving that is in these families with parents who are living under your authority, your good authority, But, Father, we also recognize that uh, we need your forgiveness for not trusting your good authority. We we need your help and your guidance to show us what it looks like to live as true disciples under your good authority. So, God, as we come to this table, God, help us. Help us to to repent. Help us to confess. Help us to be strengthened. Help us to move towards you and toward each other uh, because of this gospel provision. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.